Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by Bed Bath & Beyond Thunderdome, the everything store for all of your post-apocalyptic needs. Just because civilization has collapsed doesn't mean that your stylish sense of home decor has to. And remember, if you get 10 punches on your extinction loyalty card, you'll get priority seating on the next armored tank out of town. Our prices are so low, you'd never know that society is in the midst of a widespread catastrophic freefall. Shop Bed Bath & Beyond Thunderdome, where chaos enters and impeccable style leaves. Patent pending. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. Swung, fly ball, deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. A 25 lighters on my dresser. Yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Armchair All-Americans in conjunction with MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag, the number one online betting website. If you like to place a little bit of wagers on games, you're worried that the football season is about to get done, you got to get your Super Bowl bet on in time. MyBookie is the place to go. They've got all the best lines. If you're ever confused about how a line works or what you should put down, they give the best customer service in the business. One call, a little easy online access. They are good to go. MyBookie.ag, they're always there for you. they got every single thing you need to have fun during the sports seasons. Make Every game matter just a little bit more. And if you use our promo code BRAVES25, they will throw in a 50% deposit match. So you put in $100, they'll throw in an extra 50 Go online, use our promo code BRAVES25. Now, I was hoping that we'd be able to start this show with you know some dramatic music and where Bryce Harper was going to land, but that didn't happen. So we had to come up with something nice and big. Uh, so what did we do? We went out and got a guy that, uh, if you don't know him, you don't follow baseball closely enough he's a big name in the business particularly sabermetrics he's a sabermetrics legend it is dan samborski from fangraphs dan thanks so much for joining us today thanks for having me how are you guys doing this evening probably not as cold as you are up there oh it's it oh no it's extremely cold it 
it went above zero. So it's it's pretty imp- oh it's down to negative two now so that's a lie but <laughs> we, we got we got balmy there I got up to one two degrees one or two degrees still better than the Chicago guys I I've seen people on my uh, Twitter timeline you know complaining about ten degrees or twenty degrees below zero uh, I'm I'm lucky I work from home so I don't have to go out in it too much um, I was uh, telling Dylan before we started recording my my brother lives in Minneapolis. And uh, he was sending oh. screenshots of the of the weather forecast. The wind chill is negative sixty today, so <laughs> um, it's it's brutal all over. So you're not alone. I'm glad you got above zero, though. Yeah, yeah. That, Minneapolis had it bad. I mean, they they had power outages and stuff. Uh, my power stayed fine. I actually did check my electric company's outage map periodically. So I just wanted to see if I had to prepare for something. Because if there were like 50,000 people without power, then I might be a little little concerned about the situation. Uh, but I stayed warm, so I'm not dead, which is pretty okay, <laughs> in my opinion, I guess. It's a good day. It's a good Wednesday, then. <laughs> I mean, I've seen pictures where people's uh, handles are freezing inside the house. That that's too cold for me. Yeah, it's 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 not nice. I I mean, at least it's not a lot of snow. See, that's that's perhaps worse for me uh, because I'm I'm not as young as I used to be, and I guess that's mathematically the case for everybody. But uh, I used to be better at digging things than I am now. Now my 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 back hurts, and I just want to go in and lie down. Uh, maybe I'll get that of a heart attack, but I mean, hopefully not for a while. But I'd prefer not to, to shovel snow. I need to, I need to find a neighborhood kid. I think the average age of my neighborhood is about 75. Oh, that means there's nobody you can throw 20 bucks at to, sh- uh, to shovel your driveway. Yeah, I'm the young one, and I'm, I'm not shoveling the driveway for $20. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, the reason that we had Dan on is uh, we've had some questions, and Doc and I – Doc's a super smart guy. I'm competent enough not to sound like a total idiot, but – We've never been able to figure out how projections come about. And, Dan, you have maybe the most famous projection-based system, the ZIP system. Um, So we're going to grill you on a little bit of that, so hopefully we can learn a little bit more. But when you came up with ZIPs, how did you approach projecting players year to year? Uh, Well, I mean, obviously, when I started, it was a lot simpler. Uh, I started ZIPs as a project around 2002 at some point. So we're we're, we're getting close to kind of the the two-decade mark uh, for that. And, of course, computers were a lot less capable at that point uh, than than they are now. Uh, I think I had a computer with like a 1.6 gigabyte hard drive at the time, which is nothing compared to today. Uh, It it, it didn't really come up about by design. It was more of a... A surprising thing I kind of fell into. Uh, in the 90s, uh, in the late 90s, a friend of mine named Chris Dial, uh, he's, he's on Sabres Board of Directors, and he does stuff with the Gold Glove Awards. Uh, he's a brilliant, brilliant guy, much smarter than me. I mean, he's a, he's a chemist. Uh, I, I am not. Uh, <laughs> but we, we, we were talking, and at that point, there weren't a lot of public projection systems. It was, it was pretty much uh, Pakoda, uh Actually, it wasn't even Picota at that point. It was their previous version done by Clay Davenport, which had various names, uh, Vlad and Wilton. Uh, I guess it ran to Guerrero, so that's why they had to move to Picota when uh, Nate Silver did it. Uh, we said, you know, we could probably design a basic projection system that gets us most of the way there and does 90% of the job that projection systems behind paywalls do. Uh, because, you know, you had... Again, the baseball prospectus one Ron Chandler had is generally they were the uh, the main of fantasy magazines, those the season previews and such. 
and we never really did that project. That's kind of what Tom Tango did later with Marcel, that same kind of concept. He thought about that individually. Uh, but 2001 into 2002 kind of rolled around, and I kind of wanted to revisit the idea of, of putting together a projection system. Uh, at that time, uh, Vorish McCracken's research uh, on on the defensive interactions between pictures and defenses was pretty new. And the projection systems that existed weren't really using that yet. So I thought that'd be a good opportunity uh, since I was pretty familiar with the, with the research uh, to write a projection system that kind of implemented that new, that new information that, that Vorish had kind of, you know, researched and, you know, opened our eyes quite a bit. Uh, and one thing led to another, and then I had a projection system. And then again, it, it got more complex over the years. Uh, in in the beginning, I used simple aging curves. I didn't switch over to uh, comparing players to large groups of comparisons uh, until, I guess, I think it was 2005, 2006. Uh, and as data got better and computers got better and I became more experienced and I'd done more work on it, it's it's become you know, a larger and larger project over time. And I, I'm happy with how it is. I mean, it's not perfect. It never will be because... Predict the future is really, really foggy. All we can do is kind of just peer through that fog a little bit. That's still that's still better than nothing. And uh, so when you're oh, you're yeah. doing <laughs> oh when you're that doing that's my motto. It's Project better than nothing, right? <laughs> well, and when you when these get spit out for all these individual players, they st- they still tend to err on the conservative side, right? You don't want to overdo it for any of these guys and say Ronald Acuna is going to put up a nine war season next year. Uh, generally, what happens is they're conservative, essentially, because that's what works. People tend to overrate the dependability of any player, even a great one. Uh, they see a guy who, say, has been, you know, say hits 30 home runs every year for five years. People still overrate the risk involved. Uh, it's not like a pretty little bell curve. When you have a guy like Mike Trout, for instance, there's a lot more things that, can Mike, that make Mike Trout lose, say, five wars in a season than have him gain five war. It's essentially what, what we call a skewed distribution. Uh, it's, it's kind of the mathematical version of, of the Wheaties box curse or the Sports Illustrated cover curse or the Madden curse. Uh, regression toward the mean is a powerful uh, phenomenon, and people don't always grasp that well. So when you see a picture who's terrific year in and year out, there's a lot more bad things that can happen to them than good things, just because that's the nature of the beast. Uh, and when you know when your guy has a terrible season, like Chris Davis, there are more chances that he's going to be better than actually worse. Uh, although I'd be kind of curious to see Chris Davis play actually worse to see really? you know, what, what kind of yeah, like how does he lose his job? Uh, uh, is he to be like a negative five win player and set an all time record? Will he lose his job at that point? I mean, they kind of gave him that vacation in June uh, and, and figured that he'd come back in a couple of weeks. Everything would be okay. Uh, surprisingly, that didn't work. But um, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably getting off topic here. But that, that's why projections are conservative, simply because people have, I guess, uh, stability bias. I don't know if that's the right term. Uh, and, and, and think that the way things are, the ways aren't going to change. But, you know, again, Zips goes to what works. And if something isn't working... Uh, then, you know, I have to improve it. What's the biggest difference between Zips and Steamer? Those are the two big ones that everybody knows now. Uh, what are what are that's, the two biggest differences? That's, that's always a tricky one because I, while I'm friendly with, with the Steamer guys, uh, I know Jared Cross fairly well. I see him a lot of events. Uh, 
I we don't really share our secret sauce with each other. Uh, I I don't think that they're doing the the cohorts. I think that's mostly Zitz and Pakoda who focus on that. Uh, and I believe that he uses Marcel as an initial base that they that they've built up on. Uh, but it's it's hard to tell exactly. Uh, I'd like to know, and I'm sure he'd like to know because then we could probably crib what what things that the other guy's doing better than we are. Uh, but uh, we people aren't really. <laughs> keen to share that with 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 their uh friendly arch nemesises i would agree yeah if you, if you guys wound up uh putting your heads together you could come up with the voltron of projection systems uh i love voltron so as it as it pertains to as it pertains to the braves zips projections for this coming year uh were there any numbers that were kind of generated by these projections that stood out to you that you didn't see coming or had had you refined it enough to where none of this really surprises you anymore uh, well, I mean, there weren't any huge surprises because after doing this for such a long time, it gets a little bit harder to be surprised. Uh, like you could, you could kind of see like where Ronald Acuna was going to end up. Uh, I was surprised that Zips gave such a a robust comeback season for Josh Donaldson because it had him almost at, at at five WAR for the season. Uh, it had him at four WAR, but that was basic. That was based on only 107 games. Uh, so if, if Zips is correct on on the Donaldson signing, it's it's probably one of the best signings you're going to see this winter and in recent years, because to get uh, you know a five win player for a one year contract at almost any price is 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 just a steal, and it's just such a great fit for what the, where the Braves are right now. I mean, they didn't necessarily want to risk having you know Donaldson for five years or something. They have Austin Riley coming up. And so a one-year deal is, is you know, a perfect fit, but you very rarely get a player with Donaldson's potential on a one-year contract. You normally call Neil Walker and get him on a one-year contract. And, I mean, Neil Walker's had his moments, but it's not the same as what Donaldson can do. How do you project a guy like Donaldson, a guy who's had severe injury issues the past couple of years, but who has, you know, an MVP in 2015 and second only behind Mike Trout and War from 2012 on, I believe. How how do you go about projecting a guy like that with so with such a wide well, variance? Yeah, well, obviously you are going to have no matter what approach you take, you're going to have larger just larger variance. You're going to have bigger error bars because there is a lot you're not going to be able to be able to tell and that that even goes for teams. I mean, you could look at the guy and, and not sure teams have been burned by injured players throughout history and will continue to be. But, but Zips does, uh, on a general level, understand injuries. It doesn't know the, you know the basics of every single injury, but it knows things like Tommy John survival rates, how players bounce back from that. Uh, and so obviously we're not talking Tommy John surgery here, but that's kind of you know, the easiest example. Uh, so it looks at players with, with, that, with the kinds of injuries that Donaldson's had. Uh, it looks at the age, and it makes what's, what's essentially an educated guess. Uh, it, it's again, there's a lot of error and that's why Donaldson didn't get a five-year contract. Uh, so the Braves are going to, you know, absorb some risk here, but I think that the upside is so, is so great that you have to do that. Uh, so, I mean, Zips has a decent record with injured players, but at least it's not a picture. If, if it was a picture, it's really hard. No, that's true. And, and he actually, it's uh, pretty inspiring to see that even for, for as good of a signing as that was, there, there are a lot of people in Braves country right now that are, kind of bugging out about the team and saying that they haven't really done anything to improve it. But a healthy Josh Donaldson, you know, even for a projection system that's taking into account the fact that, that he's had the injuries and, 
and could still deal with something like you said. It was 107 games for for four WAR. I mean, if he can even come close to that, that is that is a huge addition. But having Freddie Freeman um, project for another five win season, Ronald Acuna, a full season of Ronald Acuna at 4.4 WAR, Ozzy Albies at 4.1, that that could be huge too. So another question of, of, that we had about the way the projections go, not so much for injuries, but when you look. There's three guys on this team that had just remarkable splits from the first half to the second half. It's Ozzy Albies, Indra Inciarte, and Nick Markakis. Um, Inciarte had a great second half, but really struggled in the first, and it was the opposite for the other two. So for guys with largely uneven seasons, what does it buy into more? Especially for a guy like Albies, who doesn't have the track record of, of a Markakis to kind of put any meat on the bones. I haven't actually found much predictive value from first half, second half splits. It's one of those things where you think that you would see something, but the problem is that, that month, month to month stats are so volatile that the, that the swings, that the signals just, the signals just lost in the noise that, that surround these things. And, uh, there's a, there's a tendency among people to see patterns where none exist. Uh, you, you can see it when people look at clouds. It's, it's, uh, it's a defense mechanism essentially because it's, it's, uh, to, you know, it goes back to the days when we were uh, a different species and there were other dangers in, in the uh, forests and, and the like. Now, I'm, I'm kind of getting out of my uh, wheelhouse of expertise, but uh, it, sometimes you see a specific pattern and it's easy to construct like a storyline around that. Uh, generally speaking, I haven't found much value in knowing if the guy had his performance at the first half of the second half of the season or in April or in September. The only difference is if something has changed, say, uh, like, like the velocity has changed uh, significantly, which is kind of rare. Uh, but usually it just doesn't have much of value that you see a guy who had a great first half and a weak second half. You, you, the expectation going forward still is something in the middle of that, the same as a player who was kind of around their average production all season. So it's nothing to be particularly concerned about with, 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 with all these. It's, it's nothing to be particularly concerned about uh, with Marcakis. And, of course, there's other concerns about Marcakis, but it's just not really the first half, second half split that worries me. Does that hold true even when you look at uh, guys like Mark Teixeira, who was a notoriously sto- uh, slow starter over almost the entirety of his career, and guys like Byron Buxton, who to this point in a admittedly short career, has, have been one-half players, essentially? The, the, the problem you run into is that the, the sample sizes to actually see a predictive value from these things are so large that by the time you could actually use this uh, to, 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 to give additional value to predictions, by the time it's actually relevant, the player's career is, is most of the way over. Uh, it's, 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 it's one of those things that you need thousands of at-bats to see a difference. And in Teixeira's case, he was a poor April performer. Uh, but the the thing is, is the question is one: when does that actually become a predictive thing? Because you'd expect some players from pure random chance to have that happen. Now, Teixeira is of course on that extreme end of the distribution, but but at the end it says, okay, so he's so he's terrible in April. Uh, then you need to know why he's terrible in April, uh, relatively speaking, to get any use out of that, uh, because it's might not be something so simple as, say, benching him in April or giving him fewer at-bats because you don't actually know that's the problem with him in April. So 
you, you had the two problems. You had the very volatile nature of the split data you're looking at, and you also have just the utility of how to use that data. Uh, so there, but those two problems make it so that usually those kinds of splits just don't really help you all that much. So far for Zips, what is uh, have you noticed a closer, a uh, more accurate projection, I should say, a more accurate projection for position players or pitchers? There's a, there's a slow tendency to improve. Uh, the thing is that uh, doing the basic projection that Marcel does, that's like the low-hanging fruit. And every little gain in accuracy gets a little bit trickier uh, to, to kind of squeeze out of the system. Uh, it's always like two steps forward or, or yeah, two steps forward, one step back when, when you're doing that. And really, I think we're probably near as accurate as we ever will be. Uh, I mean, I'm still looking at StatCast data and, and that kind of information to see what additional predictive value we can kind of squeeze from that. Uh, but I'm not at the point yet where I'm all in on that. I, I, I use that data, but I'm still trying to figure out because the data is still very new. We don't know the kind of the long term just predictive value of things like, like hit velocity and, and spin rate and those kinds of things. I mean, we're all working on it. Uh, I can't say that's what other people are doing, but I know I'm looking at it, so if I'm looking at it, other people are, and I know teams look at it. Uh, so we're, we're, prediction, predictions will slowly get better, but there's a limit. You had uh, you kind of touched on Nick Markakis just a second ago, and that um, that kind of sent some some very negative shockwaves through a lot of the, a lot of our fan base, as, as I'm sure you might imagine. Um, <laughs> Adam Duvall was projected at 0.8 WAR. And which is probably news to a lot of people who saw him post a 344 OPS during his time in Atlanta. He actually was pretty, pretty <laughs> I, decent. I'm being nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, he was uh, he was much better in Cincinnati than, than he was in Atlanta. But I did want to uh, read a quote from the from the Zips projections uh, that you had in Marquez, who was projecting for 1.0 uh, next year, and that is. Uh, no doubt some will bemoan the loss of Nick Markakis, but the team was right to ride his first half heroics and move on after his 701 second half OPS. So you had mentioned the aging curve that, that winds up getting taken into account for this. I mean, are you um, halfway speaking as, as Zips Dan Simborski and half speaking as just regular Dan Simborski? Do you think Nick Markakis is washed as a baseball player? Well, when I when I wrote that, I actually thought that he would get a larger contract than he did. Uh, I'm, I guess I'm still sometimes stuck in in like you know ten fifteen years ago where a team might have given him a bigger contract uh, at one year you know six million dollars. My feelings about that are, are quite different. Uh, if he had gotten a multi year contract, say he had gotten two twenty five or something, which could have been possible if a team had taking his first half too seriously. I, I would not have been in favor of that. Uh, I, I tend to want the Braves to go big. I know a lot of other people would like Harper, but I would have had fun with, with Harper, too. Here, here. Uh, and it could it's the art, Harper outfield would have been a lot of fun. Uh, but at one year, $6 million, uh, when they haven't really done a whole lot else with the outfield, that's, that's a lot less to complain about. And, no, I don't think he's a great player. I think he's, I think he's a below-average player. Uh, he had a great first half, an absolutely wretched second half, and he did have, you know, overall an above-average year. It was also his best year since he was with the Orioles. Almost, this was like seven or eight years since he had a better season. And we are talking about a guy who turned 35 uh, uh, after the season. So he's not a young player either. 
uh, and the general tendency is going to go to go down. But at a year and six million, they're really only paying him to be kind of you know a stopgap who plays a lot against righties, and it's 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 not a bad role for him to be in in Atlanta. Uh, I mean, Adam Duvall's a righty. If they if they don't just cut bait on Duvall, you you can see a timeshare there having some value. Does uh, does Zips take Park Factor into account? I know it's kind of a a, a new yes. new stat. Yeah, Zips does keep does take Park Factor into account. So you will see players uh, do better in certain parks. Uh, it generally mostly comes into play in more extreme parks where a player of a certain profile. Uh, has additional value because uh, you look at say Coors Field, uh, a home a player who doesn't hit home runs has trouble getting the same benefit uh, as a player that does because they don't really have power to to enhance. If an average player is getting say you know five home runs a year from playing in Coors Field, and you have Jason Piner or someone, he's not getting those five home runs. And if he gets less of a benefit from moving to a park than another player does, then he's less valuable in that park. Uh, And yeah, it it increases batting average too, but it increases everybody's batting average. Uh, So generally speaking, for parks with some sort of extreme characteristics, it really does make a difference. Uh, You know, you talk about a fly ball picture in in Petco or something like that. It's It's the same kind of thing. Uh, Atlanta hasn't really been an extreme park either way, and it's still, you know, we're still talking about a fairly new park, um, so you won't see a whole lot of changes in projections from players moving to SunTrust or moving from SunTrust. I don't think it's a, 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 a unique enough park, and I know unique is not used in that way, but it's not an individual enough park to really have that kind of an extreme effect on players of a certain profile. So essentially, like, Didi Gregorius would have a higher projection, were he healthy, playing in New Yankee Stadium as opposed to playing in essentially any other park. Because if you look at his home run spray charts, uh, a lot of the home runs he hits are very shallow fly balls under 400 feet, as a matter of fact. Uh, And he benefits from having a short right porch. So if he were to play for, say, oh, let's just say Seattle, obviously his his projections would be down as far as his value because that would take a lot of the power component out of his game. Yeah, Yankee Yankee Stadium is a really good benefit. Has a really good benefit to a left-handed hitter uh, for power. It's almost like you know Mel Ott and the Polo Grounds, that kind of effect, uh, where he could where he figured out how to hit things right down the line. Uh, and if a player has a certain characteristic that can take advantage of a park and you take it away from them, then they do lose real value. I know some people feel that a player's value should be the same in every park, but it really isn't the case. Some players are simply going to be better suited to a particular park configuration than others are. What about a guy like JT Realmuto, who is the the name on everybody's lips now, as it looks like every team in the known universe is in on trying to break the Marlins and get them to trade him. Uh, How does JT's value fluctuate between, uh, let's say, Cincinnati and, let's say, Petco? He, it would, he, he has developed quite a bit of power. Uh, I, I, I haven't actually run the numbers, but I suspect that he would get a, a, a benefit uh, uh, in Great America that he wouldn't get at Petco. Uh, but it's not extreme. It's, it's more seen in players with extreme characteristics. And Real Muto doesn't really have – he's not an extreme player in any sense of the word. He's a pretty well-rounded player overall. And those players tend to be fairly consistent from park to park. Do you have a, uh, a gut? guess on where he ends up i i really think that cincinnati it's in their interest 
to 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 pick him up uh, because you look at where the Reds are and they've kind of gotten not all in, but they've made a significant uh, improvement to try to win now. You don't bring in Yasiel Puig and you know Alex Wood and, uh, and and so on unless you intend to improve the team now. And this is a team that won I think what 69 games last year, 67 somewhere around there. They have to add, you know, 25 wins, and they're in a division that already has the Cubs and the Brewers and the Cardinals, who are also an improved team. Uh, so if once, once you've, there's a kind of an, a, a rule of thumb in poker is that you want most of your chips behind your best hands, that there's not a lot of benefit to just kind of meekly throwing in your chips. Uh, and if the Reds are in a position where they're trying to improve this year, they really need to go for it. They need to bring in players like Real Muto who can make a real difference. I mean, Tucker Barnhart's a fine catcher defensively, he's up and down offensively, but Real Muto is a significant upgrade. And it's hard to get a significant upgrade without, without you know, spending $200 million on, or more than that, on a Bryce Harper or Manny Machado. The market's not that deep. I think they should trade for Real Muto if they can. Uh, I think they should make a serious offer to, say, Dallas Keiko. Uh, those are the kinds of things the Reds have to do if they really want to keep the short-term dream alive because you don't want to trade prospects to add, you know, Puig and Wood in them and then win, you know, 79 games. And I'm glad you so, said that about the Reds. Sorry, Doc, I promise I'll let you get in after this. Uh, I'm, glad <laughs> you men- I'm glad you mentioned the Reds because they've been they've – been- like almost 50-50 down the line split on how people feel about it. I, for one, love what the Reds are doing. Uh, I think it's very important for Nick Kroll to to kind of change. And this is kind of a, a no-no word with a lot of advanced stats guys and sabermetric guys, but they really do need to kind of change that culture that they have kind of looming over their heads. They've been essentially the Cleveland Browns for the last, what, last at least the last seven, eight years, maybe longer, where you just pencil them in as a 60-win club. And they really did show a lot of improvement in the second half last year. And their lineup is, is – I find their lineup to be actually really strong. Yeah, it's a team that has some, some, some highlights. And as I said, if you're going to go for it, you really have to go for it. You can't just do half measures. and So that's why I want to see them because what they've added isn't enough to make them – even a top-tier wildcard contender. So they, they're going to have to be better than that. The Reds kind of hurt themselves on this rebuild because you look at their, at their players, at the players they eventually traded, and they've had this pattern of waiting essentially too long to trade anyone. Everyone they traded, they either got nothing for them or got much less value for them. They traded Todd Frazier, not it wouldn't have been popular to trade him after the All-Star game, but he was at the height of his value. And they didn't get that much for really Todd Frazier or Aldis Chapman. They, they, it's kind of weird. They got more for uh, uh, Alfredo Simon than they got for most of their stars. I think it's fair to say Walt Jockety was horrible at his job. Yeah, I mean, he was a good administrator for a long time, but he was also... You, you can get behind the times. Uh, and... A competent GM in 1985, in, in 2010, there's a lot. Baseball is different. Baseball has changed. Uh, I know some people don't like sabermetrics, but that's kind of the language of baseball now. Every team, to some extent, is a sabermetric team. Uh, even a team like the Royals, who you don't really think of as a sabermetric team, and I certainly don't. If you put them back in time 20 years ago with what they do now, they'd be a cutting-edge team. 
uh, sabermetrically. I mean, everybody has has analytics personnel and, uh, and a department and takes this kind of information seriously. So it's a lot harder for an older school GM who may not have that kind of skill set to stay relevant uh, uh, in baseball today. Uh, you saw that with Doug Melvin in Milwaukee, that he kind of realized that baseball, how analytics work passed him by. And so with, with the Brewers, he kind of transitioned over to David Stearns uh, as kind of a caretaker. Uh, and and I thought that was that that really worked out well for the Brewers to kind of have that was it just kind of one administration being cutting off and everybody replaced uh, that kind of continuity. Uh, but yeah, I think the Reds could have been more aggressive with the rebuild, and I think that one of the reasons that they have struggled to really turn things around is because of those half measures. Well, I'm I'm finally jumping in. I, ho- I hope nobody no nobody's uh, nobody's offended by this, but I'm actually glad you brought the uh, brought up the Royals too because with with what the Reds did when they made the deal to get Sonny Gray and they immediately extended him, I think that was a really smart idea for them to do that, and I think it was really smart for them or for Sonny to do that because if he had another year, even kind of approaching what he had in New York, then there's no guarantee that he would have got an extra three years and thirty point five million, and also. With the Royals locking up Whit Merrifield, I mean, what did he, he got four and sixteen million? I mean, that is as much of a bargain deal as you're going to see. So I think that 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 really is kind of how things are going to start trending. We've seen we've seen the market freeze. We thought it was all just last year, and now we're seeing it again. All the guys like Rendon and Sale and everybody's going to go hit the market next year. Um, I, I think that it's going to wind up being a cold market for them as well. So I think that some of those deals, like you're seeing the Reds giving out, like you're seeing the Royals giving out, I think that that's going to be a lot more common in the uh, in the pretty near future. I do too. I, I actually thought this winter would be kind of cold. What would surprise me about this winter is that Machado and Harper are so slow to sign. Uh, I expected kind of, uh, you know, the second and third tier free agents to have this problem because I think that's just baseball's changed. Uh, teams are not as teams know for a fact that when they sign a player that they're essentially investing in a declining asset that when you sign an average player who one of the classic mistakes in baseball is to pay for a player's past rather than their future. So you'd always see, you know, these 30 year old sluggers, you know, get big money because teams had an unrealistic view of just the the decline phase of these players. Uh, And, I think that what we're seeing is that teams are better at evaluating these guys. They know there's a huge difference between a young star like Harper or Machado, and I think they will still get paid in the end, despite all the, the posturing and the panicking. They will get paid in the end. There's a larger difference between what you want to pay those guys and what you want to pay uh, a what players who are essentially regaveraged. And I think in presents a really interesting problem for the players' union because the, the growth in baseball, the, I mean, revenues aren't defined by a set percentage of, of league revenues. Uh, baseball doesn't have that system in place. Uh, but salaries in baseball has always been driven kind of by this auction, this auction attitude towards the free agent market, and that was a reliable source for players' percentage of the pie as a whole becoming consistent and continuing to grow. But when you're at this point where teams aren't spending money on these second-tier free agents, and it's hard to say that it's a mistake to give Jed Lowry only two years, $20 million, or Brantley 232 given his injury history, when teams aren't looking at, at some of these guys and saying, we're going to give you $100 million over five years, 
then all of a sudden baseball salaries aren't growing and they lose as a percentage of revenue com- compared to baseball as a whole because so much of baseball's new revenues, international revenue, internet revenue, increased national TV rights, that those sources of increased revenue aren't tied to any individual team's performance. And when, when revenue isn't tied to performance, then s- performance simply becomes less valuable as a whole and it, 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 it continues as the pie grows. So the players have to figure out how to grow the pot a different way than it's grown for the last essentially 45 years. And that, that's a challenge because you're essentially having to think up a whole new salary structure. And bringing it back to that, that's a good segue to bring it back to the Braves who have kind of embraced this whole thing by going with, you see Josh Don, uh, Donaldson on the one-year deal, which I've said there's no such thing as a bad one-year, but essentially what you're doing is you're building a team around heavily invested scouts and, and uh, draft strategies and signing strategies with young players. Uh, according to the Zips, it looks like all of the Braves starting pitchers are right around the same sort of projection. Fulty leads the way with 2.5 war, but outside of that, I believe it is four, maybe five pitchers who have a two war. Uh, Bryce Wilson at a 1.6. Julio's actually the low man on the totem pole at a 1.4. Uh, thanks in no small part to Zips projecting 27 homers given up. Uh, Gut instinct on the Braves. Are they a team that needs to go out there and make a a big play for another starting pitcher, somebody who could potentially be a a three war type of guy or or higher? I I, I think what, while it sounds good, I think the problem is uh, who because it's essentially Keiko out there, and that's essentially the three win player or three win pitcher out there available. After after Keiko, you drop off to you know. Gio Gonzalez and, and Clay Buckholz and, and Wade Miley and, and uh, not Martin Perez because he just signed with the Twins. Uh, it, it, the drop-off is, is pretty tremendous after Dallas Keuchel. So if you're at the point where you're saying we're not going to pay for Dallas Keuchel, then it, it, it's hard to see where the Braves really get a benefit. Uh, if you look at like the ERA pluses projected for all the uh, Braves starting pictures, a league average starting picture tends to be around 96 Uh Relievers tend to be about around 108. That's usually a good rule of thumb. There are a lot of ace of A's of Braves starters that are projected to be at least in the neighborhood of league average. Uh, one of the benefits the Braves have is they can build from within probably much better than any team in baseball right now because they have those assets. They've developed those players. And the need for them just isn't as pressing as, say, even for Houston who looks to have kind of a starting rotation crunch with the, with the players they've lost the free agency, and then uh, Verlander and uh, uh, Cole uh, are also soon-to-be free agents. So the Braves have some luxury there that a team like Houston does not. Now, we, get, we've, uh, we actually we got a question last week, or we got a request last week to kind of break down some of these advanced stats. So you just brought up ERA+, and I think that, that that's probably a great way to start it. Uh, do you mind explaining for... The base listener, essentially, somebody who's trying to learn more about the advanced stats, what ERA plus entails and what makes it better or worse than looking at simple ERA? Well, ERA plus is a simple measure because my, I know it, it might sound weird to some from a stat guy, which I most definitely am, is I like to use the simplest tool for a job that gets the job done. Uh, ERA as a stat isn't really that bad. Uh, I know some of the basic stats that are, that have been around, you know, a long time, like saves and win, picture wins. Those, those are 
pretty uh, stats, but ERA, even though you had to be aware of things, uh, which, which is why we have FIP, even though you had to be aware of certain, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, certain things that kind of warp ERA, as long as you pay attention to these things, you'll be okay if you use it. And ERA is sim- ERA plus is simply uh, comparing ERA to league average for the park and uh, the the league. So if a player should have, if a pitcher would have a league average ERA of of four and actually has uh, an ERA of three, you just divide four divide by three, you get. You get an answer. You multiply it by 100, so it's a nice even number. And 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 bigger. That's ERA plus. It's a very simple stat, and it broadly communicates what you want to do. Uh, and so I, I do tend to like that stat. And in this case, it would have a 133. Uh, starting pictures around, you know, 96 was average. Relievers around 108. Uh, when you look at Hall of Famers like Vicina and Feller and Maricol, or they're around. Uh, 125, and usually a guy who's like 150 to 160 to 170 is a Cy Young candidate. Uh, it's it's a simple number, and as long as you know what what the downfalls of that number are, the pitfalls, and when not to use it, it's it's a useful number to have. And I like to use it for broadly comparing pictures. Uh, and in this case, since Zips is evening out all the luck, not all the luck, but it's it's kind of a true ability stat. It doesn't really have the same distortions as like in an individual season. This isn't going to project a picture to have uh, a FIP uh, one run below his ERA, even though that will happen at times in baseball. So ERA plus is a pretty good st- is a pretty good basic stat to show in a projection. So I like it. Uh, there's also ERA minus, which is pretty much the inverse of that. Instead of uh, dividing the players the league average ERA by the player, they divide the players ERA by the league average. So it's just uh, under 100 is better, and ERA plus over 100 is better. It's it's a little confusing, but it's 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 pretty simple once you've used the numbers. Can I pick your brain about the FIP real quick? Um, I I do like the individual aspect uh, of performance that that it does offer, but um, one of our really good friends uh, named David has has pointed out that um, there has never been a pitcher who was without his fielders. So when it comes comes down to using that as a measure, how reliable do you see that being as opposed to any of the other advanced pitching stats? You 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 kind of bring into you kind of get into like a big philosophical debate here uh, because if you if you look at WAR and what Fangraphs and Baseball reference do, they have two different philosophies. Uh, what Fangraphs does is Fangraphs uses FIP as the basis for WAR saying that the easiest way to do it is just to look at what the picture has control over. Uh, what Baseball Reference does is they don't use FIP. They start with uh, runs allowed, and they adjust that based on estimates of the team's actual defense. And both of these approaches uh, have, 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 have value, but they, you, you do have a philosophical debate about what is performance. Is it the bottom line performance? Is it the part that you did? And that's really hard to tease out of the things. Uh, when, I, when I project with Zips, there's actually a third war, which I, I don't publish it every year because we have enough wars around and it can get confusing. But Zips is kind of in the middle where it uses FIP as the starting point for war, but it knows a player's history of beating their FIP. It knows the team defenses, uh, so it only regresses, it regresses the FIP towards their ERA. So if Zips had been around 
uh, say, when Tom Glavin was around. And when we talk kind of later in the Braves' career, say late 90s, early 2000s, when we kind of knew he had a tendency to beat his FIP, Zips would give him a greater number for the war than the Fangraphs method would, simply because Zips is more likely to believe that more of that is Glavin's ability. Uh, now, that can be confusing to introduce more war, and the question always becomes, are you really helping things by introducing more war measures, or are you just confusing it, even if the stat is better? Uh, because clarity is almost as important as accuracy. A couple more questions before we get to the fun segment. Um, first off, is there a Zips Top 100 coming out soon? Uh, there is, but I haven't done the work on it yet. It's, it's going to be a little later this year, um, closer to the start of the season, simply because I'm still working on all the team rundowns. Uh, at ESPN, uh, I, I just gave the stats to Carson, and he would do all the rundowns. Uh, and so we timed it to go live uh, around when Keith Law's lists go live. Uh, but this year, because uh, the way I feel is that March, like early March, tends to be a real dead period for news. Maybe not this year if, team, if players are still unsigned, but I was, I'm probably going to release it in March, and there are going to be a lot of Braves on the list, I'm sure. All right, and uh, last baseball question. When looking at the Braves and looking at their, at their Zips projection, uh, you see what, what Washington has added. You see what the Mets have added this year. You see potentially that Philadelphia is most likely going to be the players who add Bryce. What, what do you think about Atlanta? Where do you project them to end up? Uh, I mean, we don't have final projections, but they still look like a high 80s, low 90s win team to me. Uh, you, can, you can look at the, at the team that they had last year, and yeah, they did, they did probably beat their expectations. More things went happily right than went terribly wrong for the team. And they probably were like an 83 or 84 win team that won 90 games. But their roster is better this year. Uh, than it was last year, I feel. Uh, some of that young pitching is even closer to the majors and and can you know bust through at any time. I really like Kevin Gosman. I think that was a huge pickup uh, for them. Uh, I, I, I always thought that he had that potential in Baltimore, you know, with that big, heavy splitter. Uh, he doesn't anymore, but he's a throw 96, 97, 98. Uh, I, I think that he's a huge addition to the Braves. Probably... If you think about it this way, they only got, what, 10 starts from him in Atlanta last year? It's, it's almost like he's a free agent in a way. Because uh, essentially they're adding him to the roster where they didn't have last year. Uh, so if you think about it that way, you could think about Gosman as almost like a free agent signing. And he'd probably be probably the third best starting pitcher in free agency if he had been in a free agency. So you could say, oh, they added the third best pitcher available. Uh, I think it's a really good team. I think the NL East is going to be a lot of fun for baseball fans. It might be excruciating for fans that are fans of the teams in the division because there's a legitimate approach pattern for every team except the Marlins to, to win the division. And so some, someone's going to be upset when they have a you know 90 win team that goes third in the division possibly. Uh, but I, I think it should be a fun race. I'd probably take the Braves right now, but it'd be by a fairly slim margin. Very wow. cool. Very good to hear that then, because uh, a lot of Braves country yeah, has been I mean, a little I, bit depressing. I was optimistic on the Braves last year. I'm not going to say 
that Zips projected the Braves to win 90 games because I'd be a dirty liar. You guys would call me on that, and I should be shamed if I say that. But Zips did project them with like a one in seven chance of winning the division going into the season. It had them right around 500 going into the season. And I spent a lot of ink uh, last winter talking about the Braves and Phillies as the teams coming out of rebuilding that could really surprise this year on the upside. So I, from an analytical standpoint, I'm not unhappy with, with how it worked out. Uh, the Braves winning the division was on my prop bet piece. Uh, so I always bet along with those prop bets. Uh, and so I did well there, too, since I, I, I thought there were good value odds for Braves winning the NL East. I forget what the odds were right now, uh, but I, I did do well on that one. Well, while we're ending that on a happy note, we're about to jump into extra innings, which is everybody's favorite segment. But before we do, we've got to mention our sponsors at Tix Blitz. If you like going to baseball games, football games, uh, concerts, whatever you like to go to, but you hate paying the extra prices, TickSplits is the place to go. They're kind of a new company looking to make that break. So what do they do? They figured out that the worst thing for everybody is having to pay that additional fee attached to it. If you go into SeatGeek or uh, uh, Ticketmaster or wherever you go, they always have an extra they have an extra fee attached to that ticket. Well, TickSplits does not have that. Just pay for the ticket, go enjoy the game or concert, whatever it is that you're going to. Use our, uh, use our promo code ARMCHAIR and you'll get 5% off your total ticket purchase. So that means you've got a family of four. You want to go to a, a baseball game in, in April, let's say. So you know what? Just for using our code armchair, you're going to get 20% off your total ticket value. Now, Tick Splits, again, they're a new company, so you need to make sure that you're following. Make sure you're supporting them. Show everybody what it's like when you don't have to pay a seat uh, seat fee. Tick Splits, guaranteed seats, guaranteed emotions. Now, when we get into extra innings, Dan, I want to be fully honest with you. Doc is the creative force on this show. He essentially drives us, and there's nothing he likes better than trying to gear a guest towards the perfect set of questions. So for anybody that thinks that uh, there's been, you know, you, you speak too much math, let's say, or kind of dehumanizes when you get into the super stat stuff, I can guarantee you Doc here is going to make you sound real human. Oh, people get people get mad at my Fangraphs chats because we always start off with baseball and then it goes dangerously off the rails over time uh, because I think it I think on some level I have a short attention span. Uh, like there's a there's a there's a long standing argument about chili whether it should have beans. Uh, this year we spent well not this year this week we spent a sizable amount of the hour arguing which cereal box mascots could could beat up the other cereal box mascots. Uh, I still think I won. I think Count Chocula is the most dangerous. Uh, he's a vampire, and I don't think that, you know, any of the other cereal box mascots are properly uh, equipped to defeat a vampire. So I, I, I do no silly stuff, and people get angry about that. Well, then you'll fit well, right I, at home here. Well, I actually feel like Frankenberry, uh, just by his general nature of being dead already, stands to lose nothing. He, he, he will be better than some people. Someone tried to tell me Captain Crunch because he has a Navy, but He's navies old. aren't going to beat it. And the thing about Captain Crunch, his arch nemesis are, like the, are the Soggies, which are milk. If you can't <laughs> defeat milk, you can't defeat a vampire. You know, that's, that's actually a really good point. Now I'm, I'm trying to run but through Frank, like... But Frankenberry does have, uh, does have some, some... Because, I mean, he is undead, and... Is, but is it is is Frankenberry self-contained or is he like uh, Frankenstein's monster where he has to have where Frankenberry is actually the scientist who made Frankenberry's monster? 
Well, that's 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 a good point. I think Frankenberry's monster himself is probably the the best nemesis for Count Chocula. I mean, especially when you're looking at like uh, Lucky from Lucky Charms, Tony the Tiger. Um, these guys don't stand a chance. So yeah, um, I mean, the vampire's a bat. You, what's a tiger gonna do? I mean, I yeah. see my cat when a moth gets on the ceiling. They they can't do anything about it. Uh, <laughs> and a leprechaun. I I don't know all the leprechaun tales, but there's not a lot of violence in leprechaun tales. You don't you don't hear about like leprechauns murdering people i don't think well the movie but that's not the mythology they wound up taking that series out in space so like an astronaut leprechaun is is kind of like that's kind of the real deal but uh that's also not the same leprechaun that wound up on the cereal so i don't know yeah lucky lucky just has cereal and and, and kids steal his gold it makes kids feel really gold really greedy that they're you know kidnapping this thing to get gold the children getting pots of gold and just harassing leprechauns and you know stealing, stealing you know fruity pebbles. Let well, that's Fred. That's Fred Flintstone. Uh, what are the kids stealing? Oh, tricks, tricks, tricks. Not letting a rabbit have tricks. Well, they're really instilling some pretty messed up values between the being being money hungry and uh, you know and theft. You know, so yeah, but all know. the commercials are kind of the same. Every Every cereal commercial with a mascot seems to be about kids trying to take cereal away from people. Well, that's like, how good you know, it is. You, you, the rabbit can't have Lucky Charms. Uh, Barney can't have Lucky Charms. Another, again, that's Fred Flintstone's fault. Uh, I, I think that it's, 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 it's a bad message. No, that's true. I've never really thought too much about that, but you bring up a really good point. Huh. Well... <laughs> <laughs> speaking of speaking of childhood, now now that we have, thank you for ushering in the extra inning segment. That's actually that's a, that's a that's a really solid diversion to start. Um, speaking of your childhood, though, uh, what is a movie from your childhood that you could quote all of? Uh, probably The Goonies. Uh, yeah. it, it wasn't quite in my childhood, but I, I still remember Home Alone really well because it was fun to see a kid to see a kid cause violence to to. Uh, to Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern, uh, but Goonies, I could, I could, I could even probably sing the whole "Good Enough" the whole, the whole song. Uh, I won't because then nobody would listen to me or you guys ever again. I mean, you uh, seem you seem like a tenor, but I don't know if you could quite get to the Cindy Lauper range. Yeah, I don't have a good fall. I don't have a good singing voice at all. You see, I keep hoping my voice is going to change more, and then I'll have that deep, that deep low baritone. But I'm 40, and at this point, unless I like start smoking heavily, I think I'm kind of stuck with this nasally, fairly high pitched, not horribly high pitched, but this nasally highish pitched voice. Uh, so that that limits my repertoire. I'm not going to be, you know, singing the Barry White songs. I'm not going to be, be singing, you know, Isaac Hayes. So, yeah, I'd love sure. to though. No, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, you're just a couple years older than me, so my, mine is weird science. I, I could, I mean, I don't even have to weird have the movie. Weird science? Yeah, that was, that know, was a fun movie. I went back and watched it about six weeks ago, and it's just as just as awesome as I remember. Dylan, what is uh, what is your childhood movie you could put all of? Well, I'm a lot younger than you guys, and in a move that is not going to shock any of our listeners, I can quote all three of the live-action Ninja Turtles movies, uh, but the first one I can do almost shot for shot. Huh. Yeah, that Ninja Turtles, I the movies I can't quote, but the cartoons did did I can do uh, those overlap with 
with, you know, overlap with my childhood. Uh, uh, I didn't have Turtles figures. I had G.I. Joe figures, but my friend Alan had all the Turtles figures. But he didn't like, he didn't like playing action figures with me because I tended to want to uh, make kind of a system for them, like a Dungeons & Dragons type system where they all had, you know, hit points and they all did a certain amount of damage and had defensive stats. So he didn't like playing Ninja Turtles with me or Transformers uh, because I would try to nerd it up. <laughs> no, I had the I had the, the figurines too, but uh, you know I, I think that this is how my my love for for bobbleheads wound up coming to be. When, when I think about it, I'm like um, almost 37 years old, and, I, and, I, and they're like dolls, but their heads move, so that that somehow makes it cool. But uh, we are kind of running short on time, so I do have to I do have to reel us back in. But I'm sure we're going to go out in just a second. Uh, you had mentioned that you can't sing like Barry White, or you can't sing like Isaac Hayes, until you, unless you uh, take up smoking. But uh, that's more like kind of soulish R and B ish. Uh, as it pertains to classic rock songs, though, uh, what is a classic rock song that you would be fine never ever hearing again? One song I'd love to never hear again because it kind of ruined it is Rolling Stones "Start Me Up." Because when when Mick Jagger was singing that at the halftime show, it seemed like the saddest thing ever. He was out of breath. He was tired. And at the end of that, he's going, start me up. And I'm just like, oh, God, I don't ever hear this song again. I'm depressed. <laughs> I remember that. He was waving his hands up above his head and showing way too much midriff for, like, somebody's grandfather to be showing under any condition. No, I, yeah, I, 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 I do like how Charlie Watts has become kind of like this weird fashion designer because you see Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, and they're all kind of, you know, decrepit is, and they're still, you know, dressed like that. And you see Charlie Watts with some fancy $10,000 suit that makes him look like some, some like, uh, scion of, like, the of like the royal family or something. So it's always funny to see that. He looks like old Calvin Klein. Yeah, he's bougie. He, he bought into the lifestyle. For me, it's uh, Surrender by Cheap Trick, or I Want You to Want Me also by Cheap Trick. I got this weird thing. The only cool thing that ever happened in Cheap Trick was the guitar with, like, five necks. That's cool, but that's the only cool thing about it. Yeah, but, that, you could do that in the 80s. In the 80s, it wasn't just about single guitars. You could have double guitars and triple guitars. Uh, because, you know, and obviously, and obviously it's not quite applicable, but, you know, as you go forward in the 80s, you have all those, all those hair rock bands and all their videos. They had to top how much they were rocking out over the other hair bands. So... So you know they had. Sometimes you have to increase the number of, of guitars and ex- stuff and fight the police or something. Well, I think it was Steve Vai that had the left-handed and right-handed guitar, like the heart-shaped on on either side, like in the David Lee Roth video. Once he went solo and left Van Halen or got kicked out of Van Halen. But yeah, he had he had two. Didn't he have two necks on one side and like one on the other? Mm-hmm. It was like a yeah. triple guitar. Uh, yeah, that that that's a pretty good guitar uh, if you can if you can play it. I can't play guitar. I, I've never played guitar, so it, I I do think that if I played guitar, I would want a guitar that was more than one guitar. <laughs> you know those guitars that are like double guitars, double guitars. <laughs> yeah, I can, obviously I'm a Generation Xer, so I can quote like every episode of Simpsons from like season one to season eight, and then I'll make a Simpsons joke, and then I'll realize that. Like, the person I'm talking to is 20 years younger than me, and the good Simpsons episodes were actually mostly done by the time they were born. And then I just feel old, because sometimes this industry makes me feel old, because, 
when I got into sabermetrics, I was one of the youngest people in the sabermetrics. Uh, it was Dave Cameron and I in, in the mid nineties. And we were both teenagers when we got into the sabermetric community. So we kind of both in a way thought of ourselves as, you know, the young guys, but now we're not the young guys. Uh, I'm 40 Dave's 38, I believe. And we've been in this field, you know, for 20 years, uh, we're kind of the veterans in, in the industry in a way. Uh, but I feel better when I'm like at the winter meetings because the average age of a baseball writer is still about 60. So that does make me feel a little better. But sometimes I just, I just feel old when I think about how long my career is and, and how, you know, college students ask me for advice and, and, you know, I always give advice, but it does sometimes make me feel old. Now I remember when Robert Murray burst on the scene, he's breaking news at like 17. I'm like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, so yeah, Dylan. Ben Lindbergh too was was very very young when he got into it, uh, and I, I I still don't believe he's older than twenty five. I still don't believe that, but he was very young also. Wow, I don't think I knew that. Dylan Short, classic rock. What do you hate? Uh, very simple. Every rose has its thorn by poison. One of the worst bands of all time. Every rose has it. I hate that song with an absolute passion. I hate the entire band. Uh, and I am so... Is there something specific about the song, or is it a general power ballad? Oh, no. I love power ballads. I'm an 80s okay. guy. Motley Crue is probably my favorite band of all time. I love me some L.A. Guns and all that stuff, but Poison, I hate with a passion. Brett Michaels, CC, can't stand any of them. Um, also, any ACDC song. I'm over ACDC. That's, that's yeah. understandable. Have you ever watched those any of those uh, videos where they have like like five to ten year olds listen to like eighties metal and stuff? It's always entertaining. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> except what really what really amused me is they is one of these sites did this, you know, showing kids Queen, and the kids were really into Queen. This one kid seemed to know all the words to every Queen song they played for this guy, uh, for this kid. Uh, I mean, this 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 kid was like seven, and he knew the, like. All the lyrics to Killer Queen, which I was super impressed by. That and Black Sabbath seem to be the one that uh, every everybody still loves. Black Sabbath, uh, but but Black Sabbath is weird because because uh, you know Ozzy Osbourne has become kind of this goofy figure in culture now. Yeah, it's sad. Because, I mean, he said reality show. It it, it kind of takes away, I guess, some of the. Uh, the gravitas under you know metal and, and and hard rock and the like. Yeah, you shouldn't have to have access to seeing the Prince of Darkness behind the scenes. It really does kind of take some of the luster away. Sometimes I even feel that way about baseball because working in baseball or around baseball mostly, I I don't have quite the I don't watch and appreciate baseball the same way I did when I was a kid. And I think while I still love baseball, I, I wouldn't do this job if I didn't. That's why it's you know a perfect job for me, but I don't think I had the same emotional attachment to the specific things that happened the way I did when I was a fan of the Orioles as a kid growing up and living with every game of that '89 Why Not season. I, I do feel sometimes that I have lost something in, in that respect, uh, and it does make me sad. I, I I I I'm not really fanboyish around players. They're just you know guys that you know I talk to in in, in the clubhouse or around or whatever. Uh, so it, it, it there, there, there's some truth about that. When you look behind the when you look behind the curtain, you lose something. Well, man, now I'm sad. I feel bad. <laughs> Depression. 
Right. But see, I segued it back to baseball. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. And I'm immediately going to segue it right back out of baseball by asking you what <laughs> – this, this is the last question for you. Um, what would your bat symbol be? Somebody is in the deep distress on the other side of town, and Dan Samborski is the only one who can save the day. So what do they project in the sky to get your attention? Uh, well, one, I, I think you'd have to text me. Because I don't really go out and look at the sky that often. I would totally miss the, the uh, especially during the summer months. You couldn't have any crime in the summer months because I hate the summer. I hate the humidity uh, and the stickiness. And I'm in nice air-conditioned house in the summer with my, with, you know, set to 70, and my office is a nice, like, 58 year-round. They'd be just putting this in the sky futilely. futilely. How do you... I, I can't say the word, but I, 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 I do think it would be some kind of zips related thing. Uh, in the Giants uh, SB Nation blog in McCovey Chronicles, someone made a gif for me of the zip signal in the sky and then me coming and saving the day. Uh, but the, it just said zips. Uh, maybe like a, a calculator, but I don't know how you can get <laughs> that into a skyline. Just, just text Batman. I mean, just text him. It's so much more efficient. You do make a good point. There was a giant leap of faith that they're like, only Batman can save us. I mean, what if he was like yeah, in I a mean, shower or something? Like I mean, if you, yeah, if you have a fire at your house, you call 911. You don't have like a spotlight that you shine into the sky of like a fire, and then someone at the fire station goes, oh, look, we're being summoned somewhere. Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I think it's a really poor. I don't know what Commissioner Gordon is thinking. Yeah, you want to, you know, meet on Batman on the sly because you don't want everybody in 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 city government summoning Batman for all their problems because Batman will get really pissed. You don't want to, you know, summon Batman. You're having a dispute with the dry cleaner or something, and have him come and you know beat up the dry cleaner. So I guess he has to if you do the signal. But text him or email him or. Or or, or, or or something, or whatever the kids are doing now, I, I don't know. <laughs> well, man, I uh, now I feel like I don't even want to give my answer because uh, that's probably the best. That's probably the best way to do it. It's just to text Batman. Uh, yeah, just for, text me. I mean, for me, I, I would be like, you know, the, those truck flap women, like the sexy silhouettes <laughs> on the back of the eighteen wheelers. It would be that, but like, but it would be my Love wife it. probably. Yeah, I could, I can like, I can pick out her shape. So. Um, but anyway, I mean, I can hear her in the next room. So, I mean, if, if somebody's projecting that up in the sky, then I just have so many questions. And to round us out, Dylan, uh, tell us what your bat the, symbol the, would be the, and take us home. Oh, go ahead. Oh, the, the, the problem with, with, with Batman is he's too wealthy. See, Batman is kind of wasteful uh, because then you have to, he wants these big grand things where you summon him by skylight. If, if you've seen a Batman movie... Every vehicle he has in that movie, he essentially uses once and then it's destroyed before the end of the movie. Uh, and he has all these vehicles. Batman should be like a little poor, maybe like upper middle class Batman who can afford some bat shit, but doesn't, isn't so careless with it. Well, you're talking about the lessons that are being instilled in children by, uh, you know, by being super greedy over cereal and stuff. I mean, it's the same thing if you watch if you watch the wrong superhero movie. I'm not going to yeah, stand I, for anybody I, bad talking. As a Batman. child, I I ruined a lot of things for other kids uh, because I was fairly precocious. 
I never believed, and I, as a kid, I never believed in Santa Claus or anything. So a lot of like kindergartners uh, in in uh, Lutherville, Maryland, a lot of kindergartners learned some facts about life from me that they probably shouldn't have. You know, they learned Santa Claus didn't exist, the Tooth Fairy didn't exist, and they learned what happens when you die. Uh, they learned how babies were made. Uh, a lot of a lot of kindergartners learned things from me that they probably should have learned later from their parents. Man, way to be a buzzkill, Dan. It's all right. Mine's going to bring yeah, it all I, back. I've always been kind of... Oh, sorry. <laughs> all right. Well, we do got to close it out, but my bat signal is super simple, super easy, just a taco projected in the air. I'm not going to know that I'm not going to know that it's crime over there. I'm going to go over there thinking somebody's giving me free tacos, and I'm probably going to be pretty pissed when I find out that I got to fight somebody and nobody's giving me a taco, but you want to get me to where you need me to be, that's all you need to do. It, it is a good... I think... I think it would be more efficient is if they could if they summoned you with a smell, the smell of tacos. Oh, that because if you think a, a searchlight taco seems pretty difficult because you can't really get the separation. It, would, it might come out looking like a semicircle, but if they had like a smell tower that filled the sky with like taco odor, you'd say, "I smell tacos. I need to go save the world and then get tacos." <laughs> it's like, no, because, somebody's giving me a taco. The problem is everybody else would show up too. I kind of yeah, want but, that anyway. But if you're Batman, you have the equipment. You, you mean you have a, your your bat plane and stuff. That's true. I could get there before everybody. You just brought deep well, thinking into my taco bat signal. I appreciate that. Uh, you, I mean, you can get paid in tacos because if you're a you're a billionaire crime fighter, I mean, you don't really need the money. You can just get paid in delicious tacos. That's true, too, and I'm a bachelor, so I'm probably not great at cooking, so anybody giving me a taco is probably going to be a good friend. Yeah, I'm a bachelor, too, and and I, I enjoy tacos. There's always... It, it, it's funny, because I get my tacos on DoorDash. There's actually a pretty good, pretty good place that does some pretty genuine tacos not far from me, and I always order them using DoorDash. And I find that when I'm watching... The, uh, the the driver, because they track it on a map where the driver is with your tacos and where your house is, I find when the driver has my tacos, I have less concern for human life than I normally do. Because <laughs> when I see that guy with the tacos, I just think, like, he stops at a light, and I'm just thinking to myself, why are you stopping at the light? You have my tacos. Just run. You're allowed to run the red light if you have tacos for me. <laughs> if you're and delivering I'm, me food, get it so here. Slowly. <laughs> you can go, like, 60 on this road. And then I, I slowly get madder at them as my tacos don't come. And the worst is when they take, like, a wrong turn, and you see they're going, like, the completely bad way. You're just like, no. <laughs> that is fantastic. I love that that's where we ended up. But, unfortunately, we are out of time. Uh, so before we do go, i got to say one more time, Dan, thank you so much for coming on. And for any yeah, of our man, followers, really. for any of our followers that aren't following you right now, Dan, let them know where to find you at on Twitter. Well, you can find me at D Zimborski on Twitter. That's D S Z Y M B O R S K I at Twitter. Uh, D S Z Y if you're Canadian, which I've had to learn when I do Canada stuff. Uh, I'm also at Fangraphs.com. Uh, I still contribute to ESPN.com. I worked for them for two, from 2010 to 2018, but now I'm full time with Fangraphs. So there's no paywall, so you don't have to pay money to read me anymore although you can still be a member of fangraphs and not see those annoying ads but but yeah read me so my editor doesn't beat me 
<laughs> that is the. I think that's the best one we've ever had. Uh, once again, thank you so much, Doc. Thanks for coming on with me. As always, it is a huge pleasure. Uh, and to everybody out there, you know where to find us by now: Facebook, Twitter, everywhere else. Next week, we'll be announcing. Uh, make sure you're paying attention to the, the sites. We'll be announcing our contest. What you have to do to. Be the co-host with me when Doc goes out of town. Uh, That is all right here. We'll catch you guys next week on the Platinum Sombrero. Thanks, bye.